The Old Testament reading for today is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 43. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This is the word of the Lord. Our epistle reading for today is from Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. We stand for the gospel and we all owe you. Gospel according to St. Luke, the third chapter. Glory to you, o Lord. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff 
you will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Children of paradise, that's what we are. We just sang it. Now if we would just believe it, right? That we are God's own children, baptized into him. As he continues to wrap his arms around us, to strengthen us, to help us, and to encourage us. This uh, baptism of the Lord's Sunday... You might notice in Luke's uh, gospel account of it, it's a really short couple sentences, very quickly done and over with, but yet has such significance, such power and authority that God has shown forth, not just for Jesus, but for you and I. Now we're going to go back in time just a little bit this morning to the 5th century before Christ. I know some of you like to think that you were there then, but that's been a long time ago, 5th century BC. There was a mathematician and a philosopher, Zeno of Elia, and he was known for paradoxical thoughts which questioned human assumptions of the physical reality. That's a long enough sentence by itself, isn't it? Well, to paraphrase one such experiment, Uh, Zeno proposes that we imagine the common experience of walking across a typical street. Further imagine that in doing so, that after our first step, we are required to limit each further step to one half of the distance of the previous step. So just imagine that if our first step was two feet long, the next step could only be one foot long. And the step after that, six inches. The next step, three inches. The next step, one and a half inches. And you kind of get the understanding here that as we thought we were getting closer to crossing the street, it takes forever, in fact, infinitely long to cross that street following that kind of a pattern. And a paradox is something that occurs when we realize that our previous steps can be halved infinitely in ever more minuscule movements. And so even though we're constantly moving forward, we never get to arrive at our destination. And so how is that tied to today? Well, we're going to get into that, finding a solution to this paradox of progress rather than having the destination eluding us eternally. See, Zeno thought, okay, well, you can just do those small steps, smaller and smaller, but you're never going to get across the street that way. 
It's going to be long past your lifetime before you actually make it across. And after all, it is a street, which means that there are people coming and going on either side, which means further complications to things. In our gospel today, in Luke chapter 3, verse 15, our eyes are directed to the crowds on the banks of the Jordan River, described as people in expectation, a people waiting for something to happen. These expectant Israelites would likely appreciate the found frustration in this Zeno's thought experiment, as they were people, too, who for generations moved a lot both figuratively and literally, but never seemed to get where they were truly destined to be. Those crowds on Jordan's banks, those people in expectation, were people in a predicament. They felt held back by Caesar's oppression, by the Roman Empire. They felt held back by the abuses of their own local government. Herod the Tetrarch, after Herod the Great. These local kings, instead of been being beneficial advocates, were murderous tyrants, using their subjects to further their own selfish interests. And as if Roman rule and its puppets weren't bad enough, John tells these weary people that their own national heritage, their own earthly descendancy from the mighty Abraham, would also get them nowhere. Heaven certainly appeared closed on that day to them. Now that's a frustrating predicament, isn't it? That had been existing for thousands of years now. It began when first humans trusted human knowledge rather than trusting in their creator. You see, they quickly learned that having one's eyes opened apart from God was not quite the epiphany that they expected, but rather was quite deadly. From the dependence on human knowledge came the belief that we could move forward if we just had enough rules and regulations to get there. Humanity got plenty of both, but quickly realized that they could not follow them. Even when they were engraved in stone by God themselves. Later, it was thought that maybe having a strong national leader, a wise, benevolent king, would certainly get people where they wanted to go. But again, there was failure. Knowledge had failed them. Rulers had failed them. Government had failed them. This people of Israel had a history of movement and change that had gotten them nothing except captivity. And the destination of heaven was closed, a predicament that was not just theirs, but also one shared by the entire human race. And so maybe today, you and I, as we see things falling by the wayside and we feel the frustration of these days, can relate to the people of Israel. Maybe we can see also and understand the weary frustration of the Israelite people. After all, we have seen firsthand the failure of human knowledge, of human rules, of human government to bring us to the destination that we seek. And so you and I today, we are frustrated. We are in a predicament. And that predicament has existed since the time of the fall. 
but a deeper and ongoing problem is our powerlessness to do anything about it. It's just like trying to cross the street, according to Zeno's way of doing it. We just can't get there. And worse, many times you and I, we even stubbornly refuse to admit that we have a problem, to realize that we are powerless to reach the destination. After all, we could still say we are moving forward, right? Half step by quarter step by eighth of a step by sixteenth of a step. But we're not getting there. And in verse 15 of our text today in Luke, the crowds turn their eyes to John the baptizer, thinking that this amazing man might be their solution. That sinful human though he was, John quickly dispels this notion, recognizing that he too was powerless. He too was unworthy. So herein lies the problem that keeps us in our predicament, our failure to accept our powerlessness. You and I, we can get frustrated, we can get upset, but that doesn't change anything, does it? It doesn't make it better. Because there's no way for us, of our own power and strength, to climb the ladder to heaven, to get across the street into the golden city, to have entrance into heaven itself of our own volition. You see, a broken, sinful human being is powerless to create anything from within itself that is not already there. That's our problem. The dinner that you make each night is limited to the ingredients that you have on hand. You know, if you only have flour and sugar and a little salt in your cupboard, it doesn't, it's not going to make a seven-course meal. And that's the truth for you and I. We don't have all the ingredients necessary to get to heaven by ourselves. But in verse 21 of our text today, when Jesus had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. The heavens. Heaven itself was wide open then. The destination was in sight. Everything that broken humanity had longed for since its expulsion from Eden had been made accessible. And for the first time since the fall and for all time evermore, the destination is reachable. The Son of God, fully human yet fully divine, in future time and timelessly crucified and risen from the dead, enters into the water of baptism. In Jesus, in this man, the finite and the infinite, are miraculously and incomprehensibly made into one. And a voice came down from heaven. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Imagine the goosebumps when people heard such a voice. Imagine the sight of seeing heaven opened and Jesus, the Savior of the world, revealed. 
by the Father's own voice to the only perfect, infinite human worthy of the perfect, infinite destination of heaven because he is the creator of that destination. You see, heaven is open to Christ because it belongs to him. And so in Jesus' baptism, we see things opening up, new things being possible because of God in Christ for us. And so Jesus' baptism provides you and I the same kind of progress in our lives. Does Jesus' baptism end our predicament? It does, because the Son of God, as the Word, in this miraculous way, remains in the water of baptism. He enters the water for all time so that he can meet us in our own baptism. In the water of our baptism, our failed humanity is killed with Christ upon the cross. And in that same water, Christ provides his life-giving Holy Spirit, who creates faith within us, which receives infinite life. We heard from Paul, right, in chapter 6 of Romans, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You see, in the water of our baptism, the infinite Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has from the outside of our reality reached in and miraculously joined us to himself. As Paul wrote in Galatians 3, for as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. So you and I as baptized children of God, we rejoice because we've received something we could not ourselves obtain. We couldn't achieve it. We couldn't make it. But in our baptism, the power of God's Son, His Word, has brought the destination of heaven down to us, granting us the assurance of heaven for us in eternity. See, we were powerless. We can't even cross the street fully. But God brings heaven to where we are in our lives, in our walk. Some of you were baptized as an infant. God came at that point, brought you into his kingdom, brought heaven down to that day and place. Others of you came later and were baptized. And God brought heaven to you at that point. What a wonderful picture that is for you and I, that God comes to where we are, where we live and dwell, to give us his love, his attention, his presence, and eternity with him. You know, as we imagine our own powerlessness, just as the people of Israel had felt powerlessness, Sometimes maybe you and I, we have memories of our childhood. 
Remember riding, perhaps, on the foot of a favorite uncle? You know, as a little toddler or one or two, three-year-old, holding fast to the leg of your dad or your uncle and having that dad or uncle walk you around the room as you clung to their leg. I mean, the child was powerless, but the leg that moved seemed like it could not be stopped. So you and I, because God has come to us, he has put us in his arms, and he carries us to where heaven is for us. In Isaiah 43, we hear, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So even though if we follow Zeno's way of getting across the street and knowing that we can't get there, God has brought heaven to where we are. In our baptism, he makes all things new. So may you and I rejoice that God carries us and that he forgives and strengthens. May we think of that when we think of our baptism. Not that we were worth anything, but that God claimed us and carried us to heaven. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, guide our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen.